heart and soul of a nation, beckons the call. The voice of our forefathers heard in the distance. A house divided against itself cannot stand. To reclaim our honor. honor. Our soul. The challenges of a generation call out. Future generations hang in the balance. We choose liberty. This is the voice of a nation. The nation. The nation. The nation. And now, Malcolm. One of the big uh, uprisings that uh, surely we're seeing here at America Out Loud is this uh, this push to vaccinate children. I mean, I, we get so many responses and communications in here, and that people that are just they're they're. Uh, you know they're they're just alarmed at doing this and and the uproar you can you can hear it out there so loud and and people are pushing back the other big thing is folks that you see the the job losses people that are losing their uh, they're walking out of their jobs or they're being fired either one because they refuse to get to this vaccine uh so these are two big uh, areas that we'll we'll cover here uh welcome to another COVID Q&A here. Uh, these shows are about as popular as they could possibly be. We try to get these answers out to uh, to you all here. Join us on the program here is Dr. Peter McCullough, and uh, we're going to jam it as much as we can here, uh, Dr. McCullough. But I want to start first with this announcement in the last couple of days uh, with the White House detailing their plans to vaccinate 28 million children ages 5 through 11. And uh, this has got a lot of eyebrows up and people are uh, outraged at uh, what's happening here. The news cycle has been focused uh, now for, I think, for the last six months on children, and it's a giant distraction away from seniors. COVID-19 is a crisis among seniors. Our CDC is telling us now they have over 30,000 individuals who are fully vaccinated. They've either died or been hospitalized. Sadly, 23% of that fraction are those who are dead, and uh, 87% of those uh, who have died are over 65, over uh, 65% of those who are hospitalized are over age 65. So listen, COVID-19 is about the seniors. It's always been about the elderly. It is an adult problem. So this entire focus on children is a giant distraction. So I think the first thing people would, would, would conclude is that, wait a minute, we're taking our focus off the problem at hand, COVID-19 in seniors. Now, in children, it's well-established that COVID-19 is a mild, inconsequential disease. It's milder than most colds that children would have. Even Linus Pauling says, don't vaccinate against the the common cold. The data that Pfizer presented to the FDA, published in the New England Journal of Medicine, May 27th, by Frank and colleagues, ages 12 to 15, was completely unimpressive. The vaccine in 2,200 kids randomized to Pfizer versus placebo. They use the adult dose, by the way, in that age range. Uh, and at 18 cases of the sniffles, there was no serious illness on either side of the randomized groups. And the bottom line is, despite an antibody rise, which is fine, uh, it had no clinical impact. Now we have data from Tracy Hogan colleagues, University of California, Davis, using VAERS and VSAFE, very good analysis, showing that children and young adults, even up through uh, young adulthood, will have a greater chance of being hospitalized with myocarditis that the FDA warns parents about. You're more likely to have your child uh, be hospitalized with myocarditis than ever be hospitalized with COVID. Even if COVID has severe symptoms, it can be treated. The only children who get hospitalized or haven't forbid die of COVID-19 is because they don't get early treatment. You've seen this also uh, on the same story, uh, Minnesota, uh, to offer $200 gift cards, uh, scholarships as vaccine uh, incentives to kids. And their governor, Tim Waltz, 
so he announced just, just a few days ago here that teenagers get their first COVID-19 vaccine dose uh, this week. Can you believe this? So pushing the teenagers, if you go get it, we're going to give you a $200 Visa gift card as an incentive uh, to the kids. And in many cases, these, this is being done without parents' consent as well, which is uh, so egregious. And, and another one, and, and then you, you've got this in order to be eligible for the Kids Deserve a Shot program. And then they're offering scholarships to a, a group of kids. They'll put them in a, 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 some sort of a rally, I guess, and pull them out of a box. Uh, and they're given uh, $100,000 scholarships out, uh, Dr. McCullough. So beside the fact of what you just said, that parents need to be alarmed and distressed, and they are, with why would you do this when the, there's just no risk there? Why are, What we don't understand is why are officials and authorities like this governor of Minnesota and others losing their collective minds trying to get these kids all vaccinated? Why is the sky falling for the kids, for these people? What is it that we're missing? It's research. Remember, all the vaccines are researched. They're under emergency use authorization. When they go for this next age group, it's still an application for research. The consent form says, when the parents sign the consent form, it says your child is participating in research. The consent forms either use the word research, investigation, or investigational. I recently testified in Maine about um, the vaccines. And on cross-examination, I made the I made the case that it's research. And the attorney told me, Dr. McCullough, it's not research. Show me, uh, show me where it says this. I used the word investigational. I quickly pulled up the main consent form template. It says research right on it. So the idea is that our children are being encouraged and coerced and pressured into participating with research. People need to know what this means. This means when you participate in research, there can be no pressure coercion or threat of reprisal. It means that we don't know if the products are going to work and we don't know if they're safe. That's the reason why it's research. So parents ought to really take a careful look at this. And the young people listening to this broadcast should take a look at this and say, do you want to participate in research? If you really want to participate in research and this is offered to you and you don't feel any pressure whatsoever, it's perfectly fine to do that. But we have uh, basically codes. Our Office of Human Research Protections in the United States protects Americans against violations in research bioethics. And the first one is a Nuremberg Code. Nuremberg Code says you cannot be pressured into participating in research. The second one is a Declaration of Helsinki. That means you have to get full informed consent. Neither one of those things are going on and no doctor, no health administrator, no school administrator, no government official under any circumstances can encourage the uh, participation in research because it violates the code. Yeah. All right. Let's get to these questions now. I've got one from uh, Nectaria, and um, this is uh, pretty heartfelt here. I'm an Australian uh, citizen living under the never-ending lockdown in Melbourne, Victoria. I'm a 41-year-old woman who's a teacher, mother, wife, and human. Humanity has lost its way, I feel, and I see this in the vaccine mandate that has been placed on occupations in Melbourne and around the world. I will effectively lose my job if I don't get vaccinated. Uh, Anti-vaxxer, no. Extremely hesitant, yes. I have booked to have my first dose of Pfizer this past Tuesday and couldn't do it as I had a mild panic attack. Uh, you know, this just really breaks my heart, this, this message here. I've rescheduled uh, for Monday the 25th as my employer called me to ask as my vaccination status is unvaccinated. My sense of feeling coerces is palpable. I have booked, uh, I have booked for Pfizer as my doctor recommended this 
uh, for me over the AstraZeneca, again, personal decision. I want the Novavax. Everybody's hearing about that Novavax, but this is not available yet. There's a history of heart disease in my family and diabetes and hypertension, uh, et cetera, et cetera. I feel like I know too much about the negative consequences of the vaccine, and yet I am still edging towards getting it. See, this is the kind of pressure that's put on people. So, so just listen to the series of questions. Just listen to how profound this is that she puts out there, Dr. McCullough. She says, this is an existential crisis for many and a moral dilemma for others on a dimension that I personally have never seen or experienced before. The questions are, and, and obviously you can't answer all these, but listen to these questions. Will I die if I get COVID? Do they really want to kill us and our children slowly? Will I die if I get the vaccine? Will I have an adverse reaction to the vaccine? Will I leave my daughter without a mother? What will happen to me in the future if I take the vaccine? Are the hands of the world tied here? Is there any point fight in this? Is Pfizer or AstraZeneca the best one for me? I still don't know. Do you have any recommendations or thoughts? Help. Boy, talk about loaded. Well, you know, when it boils down to the individual person, I, I mentioned the cost off analysis uh, on one of the last questions and answers. Cost off basically says that he's looked at the data very carefully. This is published. This is in the National Library of Medicine. One is more likely to die of the vaccine than actually take your chances with COVID and die across all age groups. That's true. And uh, in countries like New Zealand, Australia, Taiwan, where there's really low rates of COVID, there's going to be more vaccine deaths and COVID deaths. That was on the Taiwan news recently. I was on Chris Salcido program and they asked me to comment on it. And it's true that in countries where there's not much COVID, there's going to be more vaccine deaths than COVID deaths. Now, when you apply it to an individual, this person is trying to keep their job. The first thing that person should ask is what's the social contract? If they get the vaccine, what are they being guaranteed? Five years of employment, a year of employment, six months, three months. Remember in Israel now, basically is saying, listen, if you don't take the booster, you're now considered unvaccinated. You start from scratch. You start from scratch. So if something is given uh, more than once a year, Malcolm, that's not a vaccine anymore. That's medical treatment. They're, get, they're actually getting put on a schedule of medical genetic therapy. This is medical treatment given every three months or every six months. So here are the practical answers to the questions. First off, the chances of dying of the vaccine and the chances of dying with COVID are way, way, way less than 1% for both. So that means anybody who's going to take the vaccine, the chances are they're going to be just fine. My experience is if someone has taken the vaccine and they get through the first 30 days, I'm not seeing any long-term consequences. I'm really not. And so it's all about the unlucky ones who end up with one of these serious events, a blood clot, heart injury, sudden anaphylactic death. Uh, neurologic injury, but they're very rare. So the individual has to navigate. I think the best thing to do is really push back to the employer. What is the social contract? Am I going to be considered unvaccinated within three months? I, I love the social contract, what you say. That, that is a brilliant answer to that because we all need to be asking that question at this point. And surely my heart goes out to Nectaria, but you, you feel the stress of that. And 
you know, we people like this, it's hard to make, uh, Dr. McCullough, common sense out of something like this, that there is no sense to it, what's taking place here. And that's why a lot of these roads and these questions lead down the same road. Uh, it's very, very distressing for people. It's, it's unfortunate. It's sad. It is a sad day for humanity, actually. Uh, there's another one here from Daniel it says, hi, uh, Malcolm, Dr. McCullough. I first wanted to say thank you from the other side of the world for your Q&A episodes. Uh, I know many in the U.S. have found them really helpful, but so too have we here in Australia. See, Australians listen to these. Pro we got so many Australians and New Zealands from that part of the world. Uh, so Daniel says, this leads to a few questions, being that many of the issues around hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin's availability has been limited by the government here and their FDA, which is a TGA, they call it out there, meaning the early treatment protocols can't be followed either. I know you guys are seeing images of rioting clashes with police in Australia, and that must be concerning. However, this is all on the east coast of Australia. I live in one of the most isolated cities in the world, Perth, Western Australia. We have had our borders shut and have been COVID free for over a year. Now, I didn't know this, Dr. McCullough. I don't know if you knew this, uh, that this was happening in the Western part of the uh, country there in Perth. We have no lockdowns because we have no COVID. Uh, possibly one of the only places in the world where this is the case, which makes us an interesting case study. We're acutely aware that it doesn't take much for Delta to get out. So this COVID free way of living isn't guaranteed to last forever. That's amazing. Is if the PCR test can register positive for influenza, he asked, why have we had no positive results here in over a year? Surely at least one would come up positive because of influenza, particularly as we have just got through the winter flu season. Like everywhere else in the world, the push and coercion to become vaccinated is very real, and the threat of job loss is only around the corner. So being that we are COVID-free and the viral load of a person uh, carries is increased with the vaccine, would here be the only place worth trying the vaccine, as there is little to no chance of COVID, then increasing that viral load even more? Uh, I know that is forgetting about the potential side effects, so I'm still not a fan of it. What do you think of that email? Well, can you live in the bubble of Perth forever? without anybody coming in, without anybody coming out. I got to tell you, I don't think there's any place in the world like that. COVID-19 will come to Perth. It'll happen. And it almost certainly will be the Delta variant. So a couple important points. The methodology that the CDC used for the PCR was the original methodology that hospital labs in the US and worldwide used. But since that time, the big companies, Roche, Abbott, uh, Quest, LabCorp, you know, they use other PCR methodologies that almost certainly are not reliant on the CDC methodology. So I am sure the PCR tests in Perth probably are very high quality, not relying on the CDC methodology. And so the tests are true. They don't have any cases. That's perfectly fine. One of the most important things I want everybody in Australia to realize that early treatment is not completely dependent on hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin. If you never had a drop of either one of those drugs in the entire country of Australia, you can treat COVID-19 early. One of the best ways of early treatment and prophylaxis is to use povidone iodine or dilute betadine. This is two teaspoons of betadine in six ounces of water, swish it, spit it out, snort it up your nose with a nasal spray, blow it out, do it twice a day on days you leave the house because that way you zap the virus before it sets up camp in the nose and mouth. If you're exposed to COVID-19, you know about it, the first case comes into Perth, do it four times a day for three days. In the setting of acute COVID-19, now Malcolm, and I didn't do this in myself, and I didn't do it in my patients a few months ago, I am now using intensive povidone iodine oral and nasal treatments 
and it is working. It's amazing how effective it is. It cuts down on the viral load. If you can't tolerate iodine, if you're pregnant, uh, have a iodine-dependent thyroid disease, use dilute hydrogen peroxide. Always follow it up with scope or Listerine in the mouth for some extra kill power and clean the mouth out. Don't swallow any of these substances. That oral nasal decontamination that Hong Kong, big cities across India and across Bangladesh are using is really working. And it's working in Americans and Australians. The other thing that Australians could do is load up on the nutraceuticals, have plenty of zinc, vitamin D, vitamin C, quercetin, follow the protocols, have famotidine. Famotidine is a pepsid. And that is an anti-acid, anti-histamine drug that also reduces the viral replication. The Australian doctors can kick in. They can prescribe budesonide, prednisone, montelukast, cyproheptidine. Uh, all the Australians can take aspirin themselves when they get COVID-19, 325 milligrams. And now we're down to blood thinners and you have plenty of blood thinners available in Australia. Australians can be treated for COVID-19 at home without a single milligram of ivermectin hydroxychloroquine. You can't stop early treatment. I hope everybody's hearing what Dr. McCullough's sharing, if, uh, our Australian listeners specifically, uh, because I, we feel that that stress you have in your life. And as he says, there is a will, there is a way here. So please take that advice and apply it there. As to why a government would stop someone from getting medications of any kind like this that are so safe and, and reputable is beyond me. I don't think there's a reasonable answer for any of it, and which leads us all with more questions than answers. Let me get on to Dan here. Uh, is it possible to use the current Myrna vaccine technology to create new XNA genetic systems using 4-theo DNA? I think this is coming down to this idea that the messenger RNA platforms are genetic transfer technologies, and the FDA agrees that they are. In fact, there's about two dozen of these, uh, either messenger RNA or adenoviral DNA platforms. They, there's one that actually brought a, a medicine to, to um, market. There's a medicine I can prescribe, Malcolm, it's called Petirisan, and it's a small interfering messenger RNA that actually deactivates the production of a protein that causes amyloidosis. So one of these actually did make it to market. The majority of these though are failed technologies. They've been around for decades. They were supposed to replace um, abnormal uh, genes and they were supposed to replace and produce normal proteins. Every single one of them failed for Fabry's disease, cancer, heart failure. So I think the bottom line is these are failed technologies. The human body is smarter than messenger RNA. The majority of people who get these vaccines, the body neutralizes this stuff and it doesn't have any long lasting effects. I am not predicting doom and gloom after a couple of shots. I am very worried though about people getting on every three month or every six month schedules. That's like taking a medicine. And if we keep juicing the body with these genetic therapies, I am gonna predict bad things are gonna happen. Uh, Leslie says, Dr. McCullough, thank you for risking yourself to allow God's truth to be known over the lie. Let that sink in everybody for just a second, please, right? My question is, how could the Delta variant be more contagious than the original SARS-CoV-2 since variant comes from it? Could it have been manipulated to be more contagious? No, it's not manipulated to be more contagious, but it has to do with the spike protein. Uh, you know, the, as the virus mutates, it replicates so many times within individuals. It makes sense it's going to make genetic mistakes. Sometimes it leads to death of that, that viral particle. But the ones that survive have changes. The spike protein is 1,200 amino acids. It's got about, um, about, uh, about a dozen or so glycoprotein residues. 
And the gain of function research that was done in the lab is between the S1 and S2 segment. The S1 segment is the outer segment that basically locks into the ACE2 receptor in the cells in the human body. And it's like a lock and key. Once it locks in, the body cleaves that with called furin, and then the virus rises inside cells. So it's called that furin cleavage joint. That's what um, Ram Paul has been pounding uh, Fauci on. Yeah. In terms of, you know, how did you get this research funded? Who was involved? How did you make this such an infectious uh, virus? And how did you make it so lethal? You know, this was basically a form of the common cold. It should stay in the nose and mouth. It shouldn't invade the body. It was the furin cleavage joint that allowed uh, the virus to invade the body. Now what's going on, Malcolm, is interesting. With the mutations that's occurring due to ecological pressure, Mother Nature is taking the starch out of the furin cleavage joint. It's actually peppering all around the furin mm, cleavage joint. Wow. And so the Delta variant has got some mutations in and around the furin cleavage joint. It's allowing the virus to live in the nose and the mouth at much higher concentrations, both in the vaccinated and unvaccinated. And it's been my experience that Delta is more contagious. It was thought to be each time the virus mutates and becomes a dominant strain, it's, it does so because it's more contagious. People spread it more than the other strains. And the other thing is I found that Delta is more hard to treat Patients, younger people are getting it, it's more hard to treat. So it's supposed to be getting easier over time. I think it's concerning that it is getting harder. Now, this one's from Jeff. Uh, I am a physician in a blue state and am in primary care trying to save patients with early treatment protocols. I heard Dr. McCullough say in his address to AAPS that we should not die on the hill for ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine, what you were actually just talking about, by the way. In my state, it is very difficult, if not impossible, just like Australia, that is, right, to get monoclonal antibody treatments, since it appears that the state and or the feds want to limit it. I can prescribe doxy, zithro, and steroids, both inhaled uh, and a PO without, my, without any blowback but I have been threatened with sanctions. Wow, if I prescribe ivermectin or hydroxy. Is there a good protocol of early treatment that does not include these or monoclonal antibodies? Thank you, you are a great patriot and physician. Well, thanks for those uh, compliments. I'll refer you to Paul Alexander's paper in Medical Hypotheses regarding the nursing home protocols. Many of them didn't require hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin. And the uh, questioner is right that you can use combinations of doxycycline, uh, budesonide, prednisone, aspirin, I would add in colchicine, uh, and then move into the anticoagulants. And one of the more important seminars I ever gave was with Dr. Uh, Zankarin Chetty from South Africa. He's the one who discovered how to treat COVID-19 without ivermectin hydroxychloroquine. One just has to use a little different blend of drugs. It's going to take four to six drugs, but you can get a patient through the illness, no monoclonal antibodies, no ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine. It's a little harder, but it can be done. The point is there should be an attempt. Most patients who end up in the hospital, they are told they don't get a milligram of medication. They are told there's nothing and that they should tough it out and then come into the hospital. And it's wrong. Any combination of these four to six drugs that you can put together is going to help people get through the illness. And if you, if you prevent one hospitalization, it's worth it. Hmm. All right, this one's from Judith. I am a healthy 70-year-old unvaccinated, despite incredible pressure from my immediate family who are all vaccinated. Because of you and others, I have... I made sure to be prepared in the event I did contract COVID. A few weeks ago, my fully vaxxed husband 
and I went to dinner with a fully vaxxed neighbor. How sad is the world that we're now talking like this? I mean, listen to this. A few weeks ago, my fully vaxxed husband and I went to dinner with a fully vaxxed neighbor. My five days later, uh, my husband and I both developed COVID symptoms. And the next day, our neighbor was hospitalized with COVID. My daughter, who also is fully vaxxed, has been with our neighbor to test his oxygen, oxygen levels and also came down with COVID five days after being with him. My husband and I took ivermectin, vitamin D, zinc, vitamin C for the first several days. I responded uh, pretty well to the, uh, to the monoclonal antibodies well, but they made my husband feel worse when we weren't getting appreciably better. I added doxycycline and HCQ to our regimen and we were good to go. I think our case is a perfect illustration of the fully vaxxed becoming super spreaders because of their ill-advised decision to take a vaccine that does not prevent transmission during the height of a pandemic. Is there a database with cases of the fully vaxxed infecting the unvaxxed? I want to help counteract the prevailing narrative. By the way, my husband is a medical doctor and flatly stated that this vaccine is a failure. Finally, she puts in capital letters. So here's a woman where the whole family and the husband, who's a physician, went out and did it. She did not. They all got COVID and she did just fine. And now you see the narrative she's putting out there. Pretty remarkable, huh? It is. And I would wonder how long ago did they take their vaccines? I'll point the um, questioner to uh, a paper by Eyer and colleagues, E-Y-A-R-E from Oxford, September 29th, demonstrating that with Pfizer at about 120 days with Delta, it's basically completely useless. It's, it's as if you didn't take a vaccine. All these people going to dinner and trying to categorize themselves as being vaxxed or unvaxxed, it's completely useless. It's obvious people are spreading it to each other uh, as easy uh, as before. And Delta is actually more contagious. I'm not sure if they're super spreaders, but I would point out that there's a paper by Hetamaki et al. from Finland showing that among kind of these extended rehab centers and nursing home centers, the, the workers, fully vaccinated workers get COVID and they spread it to seniors and it's fatal in the seniors. None of the workers actually died, but they were all vaccinated and they were passing it to one another. So the vaccines, I think people just ought to get into the mindset that the vaccines don't work. It's as if you haven't taken them after a period of time. And the categorization of vaxxed versus unvaxxed is just not sensical. We got to We've got to basically move on to early treatment. Thank goodness this family unit had doctors who could make good decisions. Nobody was hospitalized or died. I feel sorry for family members who actually think they're protected by the vaccine. And then they get behind on treatment and they end up getting burned and put in the hospital like the CDC is telling us with these large number of deaths that are occurring among the fully vaccinated. Yeah. I mean, that's why the rallying call is don't do it. Don't do it. And no matter what the pressure is, you've got to look at, like you say, the social contract and the value to your life. And it makes perfect sense. Um, this one's from Brent. Uh, my brother, who is 51 years old, has been in the hospital for the past couple of weeks with COVID-19. It has been a difficult road, but he is being sent home with oxygen. Uh, he contacted me today to get my opinion on which vaccine to get because the hospital, again, here's another one, is pushing very hard for him to get one. And I, and I know this because they did this with my wife and myself, especially my wife who was in ICU for 10 days and almost died from this business. Um, they were pushing like hell the vaccine. I'm not going to do the vaccines. Let's just stop talking. Uh, I, you know, 
you're speaking to Mr. Out Loud here. Do you know that? You ain't getting it. So I informed him that I did not feel that getting the vaccine was needed due to natural immunity. Well, of course, they, they don't really uh, follow this natural immunity, do they? And the fact that clotting issues are a known issue in our family. I informed him he should find a doctor he trusted and have them review his medical history and determine what is right for his situation. Well, that's a good answer. As it is sometimes hard to get an untainted opinion. I wanted to reach out and see what your thought was on the matter to inform him prior to him leaving the hospital. I look forward to your response and thank you for your time and knowledge. Wow. This patient is recovering from COVID-19. He probably needs continued treatment. When I have patients with a prolonged lung injury from COVID-19, they need extended use oxygen. Many of them need blood thinners for 30 to 90 days plus aspirin. I end up using courses of prednisone and fluvoxamine. They need actually additional treatment. The vaccine is not a treatment. The vaccine is going to introduce the spike protein back into his body. The spike protein is what damaged him to begin with. Under no circumstances would we inject somebody and give them another dose of damage to the body. So, you know, patients, and, and, and is, it is really shocking that doctors don't have the fundamental understanding right now to, to, to realize that the vaccines cause the body to produce spike protein, which is going to turn around and re-damage the body. And he's right. It promotes blood clotting. The last thing this person needs now is to develop a blood clot due to the vaccine, have it shoot to the lungs and have it be fatal. So the best support now for natural immunity, thank goodness, a website has picked this up, is called the Brownstone Institute. Go to the Brownstone Institute. Paul Alexander now has taken the lead. There are now over 90 papers fully supporting natural immunity. And under no circumstances should anybody who's recovered from COVID-19 take the vaccine. They have natural immunity and the vaccine will only cause harm. And in a case like this, the harm could be fatal. Right. And if you go to, uh, again, to uh, uh, Dr. McCullough's uh, page on americaoutloud.com, just go to uh, the McCullough Report under shows, uh, you'll find there uh, the risk of vaccines for those recovered from COVID-19, Kramer, Raw, and Methodicus. And these uh, are actually talks about natural immunity. And it's a, it's a great read. And you'll get the studies right in there as well to mention that to you. Um, this one is from Robert. I would, uh, he says, I would like to know what Dr. McCullough thinks about the possible connection between vaccine side effects and inadvertent intravenous injection of the vaccine. I learned from a, a video by Dr. John Campbell that when a vaccine shot is given, the needle should be aspirated to make sure it is not in a blood vessel. According to Dr. Campbell, the vaccine manufacturers state that this should be done, but the CDC who have stated that this is not necessary. Hmm. I disagree, boy. I tell you, as a cardiologist, I've worked with needles for decades. We always withdraw to make sure we're not in a blood vessel and we need to be careful. We don't go too deep and hit a nerve. You know, I saw a patient recently, she's a representative for a biotech company and the injection, I think went too deep into the radial nerve. And now she's got basically permanent numbness of the arm. And so there was damage from, I'm sure there was a big depot of lipid nanoparticles and spike protein uh, that damages the radial nerve. And so she was reported to the VAERS database now as being permanently disabled. So not too deep and certainly not in a blood vessel because we are afraid of uh, more vigorous biodistribution of the lipid nanoparticles. In the biodistribution study that Pfizer did for Japan, the lipid nanoparticles were demonstrated in animals to go everywhere. They go in all the uh, organs in the body and they wash out and they tend to hyperconcentrate in the ovaries and the adrenal glands where steroid hormones are produced. And the available autopsies 
post-vaccination that have been done uh, in Germany, Austria, and Korea now show that the spike protein production from the vaccine is everywhere in the body. It's in the brain, it's in the heart, the other vital organs. And I can tell you, there is nothing good about having the Wuhan spike protein being produced in our vital organs. And that's what the vaccine is commanding uh, happen in the human body. Nothing about the vaccine that we've learned so far since its release is good. There's not a single piece of good information. It's all been subsequent bad information. And to be fair to the manufacturers, most of what we've learned about the vaccine has been post-release after December of 2020. It's been about uh, nine or 10 months of learning uh, to, to, to basically reveal what the vaccines are doing to the human body. The one thing I've learned through this uh, COVID exercise, and I, I call it a COVID exercise, uh, is how important our, our immune system is. And uh, I, I mean, I never realized uh, how critical, uh, I mean, we know a little bit, but not to the degree of how important a healthy, it's the difference, can be the difference of whether you get something like this and to what degree you get it. Uh, and it could be the difference of hospital stay, it could be the difference of life and death, uh, if your system is healthy. And so it's one thing I always talk about on the program here is how do we do that? And one of the ways is healthy cell. This is a product I've been taking for over three and a half years, but your daily regimen is very, very good. They have an AMPM product and they have a host of products like REM sleep that helps you sleep at night. And, 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 and it's amazing because it works. It gives you the rest you need, uh, which is so important for all of us. That's another hard lesson I've had to learn in life, by the way, um, and focus, which helps our brains and focus, which is something we all need. Uh, so they have a host of products, uh, as well as Immune Super Boost and AC11. I encourage you to check it out. This is something I take every day. Uh, I know Dr. McCullough takes it as well. And uh, you'll hear many of us on our platform uh, take it for the reasons that I give to you right there. All of our listeners get 20% off that first order. Uh, you just go to healthycell.com forward slash out loud uh, is how you uh, you get that or click the banner ad back at americaoutloud.com and you're entitled to that as well. But again, it's one thing we've all learned through this whole thing is our immune system. We've got to be healthy. I always ask people, did you get outside? Did you walk today? Did you see any trees? You know, I mean, that's really how, sometimes it's the simple things of life, uh, just things of that nature and how we take care of ourselves in a daily regimen can make all the difference, my friends. So please take care of yourself and hopefully we'll be ready for whatever the next attack may or may not be. We don't really know that. What we're going to do is take a quick pause here. We have a whole lot more to talk about with Dr. McCullough as we continue on with the questions here. You're listening to The Voice of a Nation. Our global experts are brilliant writers and engaging hosts on a mission of a lifetime. You'll find the latest news and inspiration on the front page of AmericaOutloud.com. Healthy Cell makes a wonderful line of products, and I want to spend just a minute with you on REM sleep. Do you know Healthy Cell's product has calming herbs, amino acids, minerals, and sleep hormone support for the four-stage human sleep cycle? Fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deep, and achieve REM or rapid eye movement sleep. Through the phases, fall asleep easily. That component of sleep is favorably impacted by melatonin, lemon balm extract, and GABA, lowering the body temperature. That element is influenced by glycine, magnesium, and calcium. Deep lasting sleep, L-theanine, vitamin D3, and vitamin B6. And finally, creativity boosting REM sleep, 5-HTP, vitamin B6, 
in GABA. Many of us think we need to sleep because we're short on sleep, but we need quality sleep. So please consider Healthy Cell REM sleep supplement. I have one tonight and I'm going to have a much better night's sleep if I uh, compared to if not taking it. So go to uh, HealthyCell.com and in the promo box, uh, type in out loud and that'll give you a 20% uh, discount off your first purchase. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Each of us is born with 30 trillion cells that make us. These cells determine how we feel, perform, sleep, focus, and how long we live. And to live our best life, all we have to do is feed our cells. But most food and supplements don't reach our cells, keeping us from reaching our full potential. Make every cell count with Healthy Cell. Founded with a mission to empower people to take control of their own health at the most fundamental level, Dr. Vincent Jampapa, world-renowned cell researcher and medical doctor, created supplements that work at the cellular level to boost immune health, sleep better, focus deeper, and stay younger longer. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of any product. And that's HealthyCell.com. H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. AmericaOutloud.com is the alternative from the agenda-driven globalist. Here, we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. On-demand podcast or real-time talk radio with our streaming apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. We join you back here on The Voice of a Nation. It is Malcolm Out Loud here, yours truly, and thank you for being with us on the mission, my friends, and we're happy to be with you here. This is a Q&A we're doing today with Dr. Peter McCullough. Uh, this show here, you'll hear every day, The Voice of a Nation. It plays at 6 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, it's an encore at 10 p.m., by the way, and you can hear this anywhere in the world. Uh, on iHeartRadio, you have the iHeartRadio or the app. Just look up America Out Loud Talk Radio. We'll come right up. We have our own apps as well on Apple, Android, or Alexa. We have a world-class media player. There are many ways to listen. All those links, by the way, are back at AmericaOutloud.com, or uh, just go to your app store and type that in. It will come right up. Uh, let me also invite you into our leading news magazine, Viewpoint, this Sunday. I forget to do that. That's on the weekends. Plays on Sunday morning, 10 a.m. Eastern Time. Viewpoint this Sunday. Uh, 10 a.m., 6 p.m. is an encore on Sunday. Goes to podcast that afternoon. All of our shows go to podcast. And with the assortment of great content, that's all available back at americaoutloud.com. Great columnist articles. Uh, we have people that are just doing amazing work and really trying to help the world. Uh, as we say, liberty and justice for all, right? That's what it's about. Well, Dr. McCullough, this next one, I, I, before I get to Jennifer in just a moment here, there was an interesting piece out of the Defender, uh, Children's Health Defense, a, a very interesting place and site. And uh, I don't know if you've seen this, and we're starting to see more of this, actually. This is actually good news. A Nebraska attorney general says doctors can legally prescribe ivermectin, HCQ, hydroxychloroquine, COVID, and calls out the FDA, CDC, Fauci, media for fueling confusion and misinformation. 
You know, I read this article, I seen this piece, and I said, oh, God, I told you there is a God. Here it is right here. And, you know, hitting back a little bit the, 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 on the system. And, and, and let me just read this little piece here. It's really interesting. Few subjects have been more controversial, you think, than ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. Two long-established, inexpensive medications, widely and successfully used for many years by decades in many parts of the world for the prevention and treatment of COVID now, by contrast, the use of both medications against COVID have been largely suppressed in the United States and, and around the world. I and mean, we just talked about Australia in a big way, where doctors have been threatened and punished for prescribing them. I mean, it's insane. And, uh, and so just uh, here this past week, Nebraska Attorney General Doug Peterson, and we love you, Doug, so good, good job there, issued a legal opinion that Nebraska healthcare providers can legally prescribe these medications like ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine for the treatment of COVID, uh, so as long as they obtain informed consent from the patient. See, I told you, Dr. McCullough, there is a God and there is good news, and there it is. Well, Malcolm, you know, a, a few weeks ago, uh, I flew from Dallas to Omaha. They picked me up and they took me right into the center of Cornhusker Nation in Lincoln, <laughs> Nebraska. I, I was one of, uh, I was a lead speaker, but there was wonderful speakers at this symposium. It was standing room only, huge auditorium at the University of Nebraska on the campus. Myself, uh, Mr. Petty, who's one of the world's experts on masks, he's an engineer, and there was a legal expert. The attorney general must have had a lot of his staff in the crowd. I asked for a show of hands. Do you know about half or more of people there had already had COVID-19? There was a lot of chatter and clamor about early treatment. Many had received early treatment. They were upset that their doctors were being uh, threatened uh, by the state medical boards, insurance companies. And you know what came out of that was the AG report that you mentioned. Mm. I'm, I'm heavily cited in that report. And we were thrilled to see that because that was a shot all over America that support the doctors in early treatment. Senator Bob Hall in Texas has been bringing doctors on one by one, doing town halls, doing group sessions. And he put a shot over to the Texas Medical Board president and said, don't you dare threaten our doctors. They're trying to take care of patients. I am relying on their advice. I'm relying on their clinical judgment to help Texas get through the pandemic. We have to see more leaders like Peterson, Hall, and others step out there and get in the game to protect doctors and support doctors because it'll take doctors and nurse practitioners and physician assistants to get Americans through the pandemic. Yeah, I got an interesting woman coming up on Viewpoint on the weekend. You got to hear it to McCullough because it's a principal of a school, of an academy, a private school, who is so outspoken about this and has laid down the law about these vaccines and mandates and masks and all that business. And she's a great voice for freedom and for liberty and for our kind of people here. And so she'll be on uh, Sunday uh, morning with us on Viewpoint. So it's going to be very interesting. Uh, let me get to this now. In these next many questions, I want to roll through quite a few here. I'm going to keep my comments to very minimal here now because I, I need to get to more of these here. So here we go. Uh, Jennifer says, thank you for the great Q&As with Dr. McCullough. I just listened to number six. My question is, I ordered ivermectin and HCQ through America's frontline doctors to have on hand in case I became ill with COVID in the future. They just arrived in the mail. The process is very easy. So I want everybody to hear this. And the doctor and pharmacist were prompt and helpful. So that's at this America's frontline doctors. Um, and I, I questioned, I forgot to ask the doctor, how long will these medications last while being stored in a cool, dry place? Well, I have to replace my supply at some point. They last uh, months to years. I wouldn't worry about the shelf life of these products. It's just good that you have them on board. 
Okay, another one from Dan. I inquired about a doctor filling out an exemption form. I want to clarify why. It's for my wife. She has a history of severe uh, aller allergic, uh, allergic reactions to the flu shot, penicillin, uh, sulfacodine, antacids. She felt pressured and was going to just go get the shot after an emotional breakdown. So she had an emotional breakdown for pressure on the shot, hearing too many of these. To her surprise, no pharmacy or doctor would give her a shot due to this history, but would also not fill the exemption form out. They all know of her concern, but want to send her to an allergy doctor instead of uh, giving her what she needs. She does not want the vaccine. We want a brave patriotic doctor to fill out the exemption form. Now, Dr. McCullough, there are a lot of people like like this, like Dan, I'm getting a lot of these in. They're saying, could you please get Dr. McCullough to fill out this exemption form? We'll give him the stuff he needs. Or do you have some other doctors there that can fill this out? And of course, we have other MDs here as well. But what's the status of this? I mean, can we, how do we help these people or can we? Well, let me just take the allergic question first. Uh, you know, there's been over 20,000 severe allergic reactions with the COVID-19 vaccines. And um, the CDC and FDA has not told us who's having allergic reactions and what component are they allergic to? Is it the polyethylene glycol? Is it the lipid nanoparticle? Uh, is it uh, polysorbate? Is there something else they're allergic to? So in the absence of getting data from the CDC and FDA, I think one should assume like this uh, woman did, is that she could be seriously allergic. She could have a fatal reaction. And again, in the absence of data, why wouldn't you take a conservative stance? So I agree with this, that patients with prior allergies, unless they start telling us who is developing the severe reactions and why, that they should defer on the vaccine. Now, it must uh, be said that in order to get an exemption, one should have a doctor-patient relationship. The doctor should do this within the scope of their practice. So patients should not be freewheeling with doctors out there saying, hey, can you write me a letter, write a prescription? That's what's called beyond the scope of the practice. That's unfair to the doctor. That's like asking an attorney, hey, can you do me a free attorney's letter? They're not going to do that. They're going to say, listen, just get a letter of engagement. You have to engage in a relationship with an attorney, just like you have to engage in a relationship with a doctor. Now, fortunately, we have myfreedoctor.com. They will do the exemptions. You do have to engage in a patient-physician relationship uh, electronically with myfreedoctor.com, and you can get the exemption that way. But I think every patient ought to be having a discussion with their doctor and show them the red box report and say, listen, look at this report. Tell me how I'm not going to end up in one of these boxes. And if you, you know, uh, and really start to push the doctors to open up their minds that there are really a, a long list, a wide array of qualifying medical exemptions for the COVID-19 vaccine. We've lost 16,000 people after the vaccine. Obviously, that's 16,000 people who should have been exempted. So the exemption process is the only way we're going to save lives with the vaccine. Yeah. Um, I like, uh, thank you for sharing that myfreedoctor.com for the exemptions. I'll share that with many others who are asking uh, for those exemptions. I mean, that's a place they can get it. That's legit. Let's do it. You know, that's where we can get the exemptions. If you're not getting it from your own physician, which as you point out is really where it should come from. And, uh, you know, and I'll say one last thing, if your physician don't do it for you, fire your physician and get another one. Uh, moving on here to Maria, uh, patient gets COVID vaccine in January. Patient gets positive COVID test in August, moderate symptoms and recovered. Does this patient now have robust and long lasting? Sounds like they've been listening to you. Does this patient now have robust and long lasting natural immunity from the infection in August? Similar to a person with natural immunity post-infection without the vaccine, 
If so, are all these people getting COVID after the vaccine contributing to herd immunity? Can they get reinfected? You know, despite some chatter that the vaccines may impair immunity, I disagree. And I think when someone gets the natural respiratory infection, they do get full immunity and the previous administration of the vaccine doesn't play a role. So until I'm disproven on this, I'm going to give a positive answer that, yes, once you get the real deal, you have permanent immunity. The background uh, administration of the vaccine doesn't play a role. Kathleen says, I live in San Diego, California, and am one of the many concerned parents that are trying to fight the vaccine mandates our governor that has imposed on our children. Uh, There was a public debate about this with the uh, uh, Board of Supervisors. Uh, The next day, a group of doctors got on the local news to debunk what the opposition side were claiming about natural immunity. Can you respond to what this doctor says about natural immunity not working and that it's twice as common to become reinfected if, you know, uh, because of that? I believe in my body's natural immunity and that I won't be reinfected since I've already had COVID in November 2020. What's driving the confusion about natural immunity is false positive PCR testing. If it was possible to get COVID-19 over and over and over again, our senior citizens would be on the ventilator can, you know, constantly. We would have seen it. You know, in the published manuscripts, it's always the first and only case of COVID-19. There isn't a listing for the second and third episodes of COVID-19. So the only thing that exists out there is confusion on false positive PCR testing. If these doctors think patients can get COVID-19 over and over again, they should produce the evidence. They don't have any. Okay. The next couple of questions are on early treatment. Nicola says, we have no early treatment for COVID available in New Zealand and no access to the meds, ivermectin and ACQ. Doctors unwilling to prescribe anything other than Parentsimal, is it realistic to be in a higher risk group, unvaccinated, and be able to treat at home with only mouthwash, nutraceuticals, prednisone, and aspirin? That's a difficult question. The idea is if you strip everything away from a population, is it better to take the vaccine? It looks like the vaccine doesn't have enough effect to outweigh the risk. So I would say no, it's better off going with everything you have at at home and foregoing the vaccine uh, and working your way through the illness that way. I mean, this seems to be the goal, right? It seems to be the goal to take away every single bit of treatment and then force people into the vaccine, uh, not have the vaccine work, and then force people into boosters within three or month intervals, have it become chronic medical therapy. Um, I think the risks of being converted into chronic genetic treatment every three to six months, I, I think the risks outweigh the the potential benefits. All right. What about this? Is it true that the majority of people who have the Pfizer vaccine have much milder COVID symptoms, ignoring for the moment the risk of serious adverse events? She adds to that message. Is that true on the Pfizer vaccine? I think it was true with the earlier variants. So there's a paper in the MMWR in September, uh, the CDC journal that clearly showed with Moderna was the best Second best was Pfizer and the third best was J&J, but it did protect against hospitalization and death in observational data with the legacy variants, the now extinct wild type, alpha, beta, and some gamma. With Delta, it looks like Pfizer has no 
fundamental effect. If it does, it's very short lasting. It's maybe a month or two and that's it. And, and I just, I want to say, Nicola ends with this. Thank you, Dr. McCullough. We appreciate you and pray for you. And I, and I get a lot of those. I just sometimes like to put them in there that people are praying for you. Uh, we get those prayers in all the time. Uh, Chuck says, I am currently fighting a low grade fever, 99 to 101 uh, for the past few days. Have been taking hydroxychloroquine from America's frontline doctors, 200 milligrams, two times a day. Still feel sore and lethargic. Lungs okay and have a head cold, eating soups, etc. The medical community here in Pennsylvania, Tower Health, do not offer any treatments. So I've asked my physician and get a big no. Should I continue with the hydroxy? I do have access to doxycycline, 100 milligrams, but this is an emergency fish biotic. Otherwise, no one here is going to help. Would appreciate some direction. <laughs> Well, thanks so much for the prayers uh, from everybody. We need a prayer for this man as well. Uh, you know, it is an unbelievable time in medicine where people are trying to find their own way and they're desperate with the health systems absolutely uh, 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 jettisoning any of their responsibilities. Uh, this person needs a test. They need to actually ascertain if they have COVID-19 or not. And if they do have COVID-19, then yes, the answer is press forward with full treatment. If it turns out not to be COVID-19, then you can go ahead and stop treatment. All right. Nathan asks, uh, I appreciate the, the program and the Q&As concerning COVID. My wife has hypothyroidism thyroidism, and has not had COVID. She spoke with a doctor and the doctor didn't recommend the iodine nasal spray drops due to the influence on the thyroid. Could you explain more about the hydrogen peroxide nasal solution or where to find information on how to prepare the H2O2 uh, nasal solution, please? There's some guidance on hydrogen peroxide that's on the internet. Uh, the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons just had a wonderful display in Pittsburgh, and I imagine it's on their website, although I can't be for sure. Uh, but there is a dilution for hydrogen peroxide. It can be nebulized and used in the nose. It can be used as a rinse in the mouth. Uh, the AAPS display that I saw actually used a little Lugoyles iodine, a tiny amount of iodine uh, with the peroxide, and it looked like a wonderful solution. The betadine, the, the betadine even dilute is a lot of iodine. And I think in patients with thyroid disease, particularly Hashimoto's, which can be up and down, uh, you'd want to stay away from that uh, povidone iodine. So look at aapsonline.org. And you can even put a question in and I'll notify the staff to see if we can't get a good hydrogen peroxide resource for you. Yeah, they're a great source and great people at AAPS. Um, and that talk that uh, Dr. McCullough did was an incredible talk. If you haven't seen that, friends, that you go to the McCullough Report at AmericaOutloud.com under shows and you'll see it. Dr. Peter McCullough presents bold challenge to those who crush our rights. It's, it's a must see. That was a standing ovation a speech, if there ever was one. A great message for the world, actually, to hear. Uh, Donna says, I'm a teacher in Canada. Together, putting together a letter to fellow colleagues and my own governing body against the vaccine mandate. My missing piece of information is how to explain. How do we explain hospital rates of unvaccinated taking away beds for services people need and could die from? I know our health system needs money. ER is overwhelmed with non-COVID, et cetera. But the narratives people see are numbers of unvaccinated taking away services that their loved ones need because the beds are all full. And I, I see this constantly this come up. And a lot of 
these are not true, what they're saying. I think a lot, I guess I would ask you, my guess is they're lying uh, because I really see this and I don't think it's accurate that the unvaccinated are filling up the hospitals more than the vaccine. I think it's BS, Dr. McCullough. It's false issued talking points through government sources and it goes to hospital administrators. Do you know I get emails saying that, you know, over 90% of people in the hospital are unvaccinated, but yet we have data from Havers from the COVID net network uh, the CDC data, and we have a, the paper from Fillmore from the VA. You know, in through June, that's before Delta really hit. We had 23% of people hospitalized were vaccinated in the United States. Now we have the CMS data through the Project Salus, and they show in the first by the week, first week of August, 60% of those over 65 in the hospital with COVID. Those are the serious cases. 60% are vaccinated. So there's no way it can be a crisis of the unvaccinated. The hospital or not is cannot be filling up with unvaccinated. It really can't be true. The CDC data, the VA and CMS data say it's not true. So I wouldn't pay attention to these false talking points. They are coming down through hospital administrators. I've actually even heard doctors parrot these false talking points. Believe it or not, there's a billboard on I-35 in Texas that puts out that false talking point. So there is no limit to which propaganda will be put forward uh, making the case uh, that the unvaccinated are somehow a threat. I think all of this is basically trying to promote people to take the vaccine. Yeah, got to be informed, have to be informed. So Angie, this is a legal one. Uh, you probably have, a, I think, which resource you have for this one. I would like to know if you have or know of an attorney that will file a lawsuit against our company uh, director for making us take the jab. I work at a government lab, PNNL, and we are being forced to take it or be fired by November 15th. Help, please. Where do we send her? Boy, I tell you, the high wire has got a an entire list of legal resources. Another one is Liberty Council. Uh, if you just do a Google search, you, you'll quickly get to many legal sources in order to be able to file these lawsuits. There is a ton of legal activity. Every major airline is under a lawsuit. Virtually every federal agency is under a lawsuit. CMS is uh, the federal government's under a lawsuit for the vaccines themselves. F these Pfizer's under a lawsuit. There's no shortage of lawsuits. That's the reason why the the uh, mandates are slowing down right now. And, and you know, Southwest Airlines, uh, America, Delta, they've all backed off United because of the fact that people are finally standing up. Okay, yeah, I'm going to put both of those sources high wire that list that he. I know what he's speaking about, Dr. McConnell, Liberty Council. I'll put them in the uh, when this does go to podcast. Uh, give give this about a day, day and a half. It'll be on podcast. Uh, over the weekend there. Um, last one here from Kirsten. Let me fit this in here. Hi, thank you so much for providing ongoing current information about COVID treatments in the Q&A. I learn so much every week. Uh, my 78-year-old mom took the Pfizer shot in January and is now considering the booster. She had no side effects, but I am worried about a third shot given her an adverse reaction. Is she at more risk from severe COVID if she doesn't get a booster due to antibody-dependent enhancement? Uh, would a booster prevent possible ADE? Or can she possibly recover from COVID with all the nu nutritional recommendations plus the povidine, iodine, rinse that you discussed? Any recommendations, information, please? You know, the FDA panel, I think, was the clearest on the uh, September 17th meeting. They voted 16 to 2 against boosters. The data were not there for boosters. And it was only after the fact, after a lot of negotiation, they said, well, you could do boosters in those over 65 or do boosters uh, for those who had uh, high risk of COVID exposure, but without any data. So it looks like the boosters don't do anything. You know, in Israel, they have uh, now millions of patients taking the booster. They're, they're, they're chronicling booster failures. They never adjusted the boosters to cover Delta. 
So why take another risk of the vaccine and the spike protein, the allergic reactions, the blood clotting, the heart damage, the neurologic damage? Why take the risk of a booster when it doesn't cover the current strain of virus? Wow. A big thank you to Dr. Peter McCullough. You are tremendous, my friend. You are a light uh, in a very dark room sometimes for so many people. We just love you. Um, and now, uh, friends, a big thing here is, uh, you know, you take from this is be informed as you're doing right now, but getting other people to be informed and you've got to push back. Now, that's the overarching message I'll leave you with. Push back. It's not worth your job. It's not with your, your you know, relationships and people. Uh, your health is most important. So you have to push back on uh, those who are pushing things on you. I, I feel the stress. Uh, thank you for being with me on the mission here. We'll see you uh, Monday through Friday again, 6 p.m. 10 is the encore. We'll see you back on The Voice of the Nation. It's time to get involved and get loud, my friends.